0: this is chris roth here with bushido squirrel with your weekly knock activism wrap-up today we're going to be talking about our ever-present topic of the coronavirus pandemic and our leaders in california and los angeles and how they are not handling the situation uh, we've also got a bunch of stuff to talk about with a, a town hall event that the two of us were at yesterday which was fantastic uh, we also have some sad uh discussions about the deaths of some Uh, Very prominent civil rights leaders last week that uh, everyone has been hearing about. We're going to talk about it briefly. A quick update related to the Cal gang incident that we talked about last week. Uh, And then we have some updates regarding our institutions of higher education here in the state of California, including our very own alma mater. Uh, But first, how's it going, Bushido?
1: It's going pretty well. Uh, Kind of a busy day today with the March for Melly going down uh, from 2 to 5, so... I know we're going to be out there, and a lot of folks are going to be there, so hopefully it'll be a really good showing. Uh, other than that, just kind of another shitty what-the-fuck week with everything going down yeah. in Portland, uh, and uh, some de- deaths of very prominent civil rights figures, so we'll get into that a little bit later, but it's uh, been another uh, another week. Uh, how's it been going for you? Uh,
0: another week is an extremely accurate description uh, for what I would use for this week. It's... Uh... I the we we've said many times in the past like you know time is is a flat circle what the hell does that anything even mean like the we're losing the concept of time because of the the way the pandemic is working but this past week does feel like it was more of a gut punch than usual um basically because specifically to my mind because of all of the stuff that's been coming out of portland over the last uh, 24 48 hours like the first time I saw any of that those videos of uh you know masked and camouflaged up uh seemingly like just militia dudes who I, I believe are actually just some kind of a a, a a federal level law enforcement agency of some sort
1: They're customs and border patrol
0: gotcha so the them well, the first time I saw any video of them just like walking up to somebody on the street and grabbing them and the, the person that I saw in the video didn't really offer up any resistance and just went with them. My immediate thought was that's a weird arrest. It doesn't look like an actual arrest. It looks more like a, uh, like an extraction, right? Where they're, they're going in and they're grabbing like an undercover and pulling them out. Kind of like when, when we saw that uh, the video of the, the protests here in downtown at Pershing square and there was the dude in the white hat, right? That like, Went and grabbed the cop and, like, muscled him past the, the the other line of cops. And then they they walked off. And it was like, oh, that was clearly there was an undercover involved and all that. But when I saw the first videos coming out of Portland, that was what it felt like because of the way that it all went down. But now now it's just, like, what the actual fuck is going on where it genuinely looks like we now have our own, like, Gestapo shit going down. And people are just being grabbed for nothing and given no due like no due process whatsoever and being being put into like solitary confinement and there was this really
1: well i mean the the story that was told wasn't it seemed more incompetent than evil like Mm. the the one guy who gave his first person account was taken to the uh basement of the federal courthouse and basically searched and photographed Uh, and asked if he wanted to talk. And then when he said, no, I want a lawyer, they left him alone and then just sort of like kicked him out. And they didn't give him a citation. They didn't give him a record of arrest. They didn't give him like any paperwork because these aren't fully legal arrests, but they're also not fully illegal. Like under the National Defense Authorization Act that was signed by Barack Obama, the federal government can detain anyone for an unlimited period of time if they are... Uh, engaged in terrorism or th- thought to be a terrorist under federal guidelines. And that's why President Trump's like designating Antifa as a terrorist organization makes this really scary. And that's why it makes sense that the cops, that these like particular federal agents were grabbing the people they were grabbing, because these were just generally folks dressed in black who look like they're Antifa. And it doesn't sound like they're getting any useful intelligence or But they're also not doing this in a legal way. But it's also impossible to know who the officers were that were arresting them because they weren't wearing identifying information. They weren't saying which federal agency they were with. Like all of this was done very incompetently and not strictly legally, but also not wholly illegally. Like there is legal cover out there for what these officers are doing, um, though it's never really been tested in court. A feeling we are going to see these like arrests taken to court here sometime soon how that actually works out is going to be curious because even though these arrests happened in portland since they were done by federal officers like traveling from across state lines i'm not sure who's going to have the jurisdiction there but presumably the federal courts will which is going to make this even messier uh,
0: yeah uh, what the fuck is going on <laughs> yeah what has happened anyway um, yeah, shit's wild. Uh, I am yeah. not going to pretend to understand what the fuck is actually going on. Uh, all we're going to have to do now is just react to what is local and keep, you know, just keep doing what we can. So, um, speaking of things that are local, who California is not doing well. Um,
1: uh, as far as, as far as coronavirus. Yeah, correct. we've passed. Yeah, we've passed a couple of very grim milestones uh, yeah. globally. Um, with I think um, two million deaths uh, across the planet, uh, and the U.S. is now like the hotspot. Um, and California is is doing a lot of the heavy lifting there.
0: Yes, we we certainly are. One kind of high point here, or slightly redeeming factor, it seems to be, is that we we have like, I guess started to kind of flatten at least in the the local. We've reached like a local maximum. um, And maybe it's going to kind of taper off a little bit. You can see that with the seven day moving average here for the new cases in California on a day by day basis. Um, As of 10 PM, 10 PM last night, uh, we are up to a whopping 381,012 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the state of California. Uh, That's 61,000 new cases in the last week. Which is fucking terrifying. Um, we had six thousand eight hundred thirty-two new confirmed cases yesterday. Uh, we're up to seven thousand seven hundred two deaths in the state, eighty-nine of them yesterday. Uh, this this graph is a, a this one is weird because it's you know we had like the first plateau and then we had the second plateau that was a little bit lower, and now we seem to have hit like a third plateau. Uh, mm-hmm. We're, we're closer to the, the 100 deaths per day on average, um, but that is also, you know, we're very early on into this process. We know that the deaths be are a, a lagging indicator relative to the confirmed cases, which we've seen spiking like mad in the last few weeks. So it's going to be interesting to see where this goes, and I I mean as depressing as this is like COVID did burn through some of our most vulnerable populations earlier on. And now it's more of a a general population situation and it's, we're still fucked, but uh, maybe less fucked Uh, here in the, you know, the County of Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. we're up to 153,179 confirmed cases of COVID-19. We had 2,755 new cases yesterday uh, which, uh, w- you know, we're, we're doing this, we're recording now on a Sunday instead of a Saturday, so it's we're, the, we're in the, the weird, like, off time of reporting compared to uh, what when we're normally talking about, like, the Friday statistics on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, we're still seeing, we still, like, saw 13% more yesterday than we had on Friday the week before, so we're still climbing up there. Uh, we're up to 4,084 deaths in the county Thirty-six of them yesterday were in. Again, like we we had like this downward trend for a bit, and now we've spiked it up, and we're gonna see what the fuck happens. Um, one of the reassuring, okay, so the the not reassuring thing is is this graph. This is uh, where we're at in the state of California in terms of hospitalizations, and we're seeing the the ICU beds. Uh, or rather the the number of patients who are in intensive care has been slowly ticking up, but you can see in that lighter shade of blue, the, the actual hospitalizations going up significantly higher, uh, you know, starting from the middle of June and moving on till today, we've had just this constant uptick. Uh, when it comes to the, like the, the ICU numbers are not as bad yet, but we expect that those will probably also follow uh, because this, you know, as the, the disease progresses, people, Uh, have worse and worse health outcomes and end up in the ICU and then on ventilators. And that's when, that's when the shit really starts to hit the fan. Uh, The available ICU beds for the state of California, we're actually doing pretty well. It's, it's been pretty consistent. We did have a number of uh, more beds made available toward the end of May, which was great. Uh, Here in the, in the County of Los Angeles, we're following much the same kind of trend as the rest of the state, although we do seem to not be in as dire of a situation as the rest of the state, so there's at least that going for us. Uh, We seem to have been hit by most of this stuff earlier, and our our available ICU beds, we've actually been going up, which is good. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm worried that we're going to be seeing in the next couple of weeks that number dropping down, and the scary part is when that number hits zero and then we find ourselves in a situation like what happened in italy um and that's 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 the bad times um yeah so i uh, just i don't understand how we have been like we we've known what was coming we fucked it all up with garcetti's rush to reopen the city and newsome not clamping down on places like orange county and allowing these restaurants to open and people to be dining in and all of this other shit like we have just screwed things up so fucking badly and now uh we are just getting to 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 deal with it it's it's just a mess um yeah so anyway that that's that's fun so let's talk about some more uplifting topics shall we bushido (laughs)
1: Uh, Yeah, so uh, unfortunately this week, we also saw two civil rights icons pass away. Uh, C.T. Vivian, who was uh, one of the leaders of the civil rights movement with uh, Martin Luther King, and then also John Lewis, who was also a part of the civil rights movement with Martin Luther King, but was a much younger member. Um, And it was unfortunate that they passed away both on the same day, having inspired millions of people across this country. And John Lewis um, still was a fighter up until the end. And I know a lot of folks want to criticize him for some of his more centrist stances uh i don't really feel like it's an appropriate time or place to do that
2: Oop.
1: but sorry. uh sorry just rogue audio there yes yeah, uh, CNN just decided interest. to
0: pop a thing up sorry
1: but um <laughs> but uh, uh you know john lewis um i i got to meet him actually a couple years Did ago you? when he came to comic-con because uh, he did a, a recreation of the Selma March with a bunch of kids on mm. uh, at the San Diego Convention mm-hmm. Center. So I saw him after that, because I, I was not able to... I was stuck in the hotel as, like, an editor, uh, but I went downstairs <laughs> to grab some lunch, and he was standing out front waiting for his car, so I got to, like, say hello and thank you oh, and cool. shake his hand. Nice. Yeah, and it was actually... It was really, like, the man had a lot of power just in, every, in everything that he did and just the way he carried himself. Um, and it, it's... You know, he was 80 years old and still serving in Congress. And I think for all of the good work that he did, like now we have to go and have another election, which I'm pretty sure a Democrat will win. Um, but I think it's, it's one of these questions we have to have about Congress as to why the average age of Congress is so much higher than the average age of America. Like America is yeah. a much younger, browner place than either the Senate or the House of Representatives reflects. Now the House of Representatives has been doing like some good-ish work moving towards a more representative body, but we're still out of alignment in terms of, ah, God, I'm splashing coffee all over myself, in terms of uh, the average age of the members and also the yeah. average wealth of the members. Like, every yes. person who sits in Congress is significantly wealthier than people on average in America, and that's a problem.
0: Uh, yeah, it, it absolutely is. Like, that's one of the one of the most, uh, you know, amazing aspects of uh, these recent elections you know going back to i guess 2018 would still be considered a recent election right with mm-hmm. when aoc got elected getting somebody who's w- like actually working class in there and getting more people like her getting jamal brown getting the presumptive uh you know he, he, he's won the, the democratic primary he's not going to lose in the general election to a, a republican in that district so he's going to be a new member of congress like getting to see working class folks, people who are coming from educational backgrounds, coming from, uh, you know, bartending, coming from jobs that people actually, like, that represent the majority of the people in this country, service industry jobs, even like, also like those, even professional managerial class jobs, those PMC jobs, like what I used to have, uh, and, and, you know, professional technical jobs, like what you do with the video editing, getting more people like that into positions of actually talking about legislation and, and being able to craft and change policies for this country is a hugely beneficial thing for us to have. And seeing these recent elections uh, and and, and the, that trend line going in that direction for, for Congress is great. Uh, I'm really hoping we get to see another tick on that one with, you know, if if Shahid is able to go in and actually Unthroned Pelosi, like that would be immense. Like, that would be a, a massive change of the wealth of Congress right there because she is like one of, if isn't she like the most wealthy person in Congress at this point, in 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 the House of Representatives at least, or close no, to no, she's
1: not, she's she's one of the wealthier members, okay. but um, she, I don't think she's the wealthiest. Uh, so, her and her family, like, she clocks in with her husband around a hundred million dollars, I want to okay, say, yeah. 60 to a hundred million dollars, which is still insanely wealthy for Americans and yeah. puts her, like, in the top tier of people in Congress, but not,
0: like, at the very top. Gotcha. Okay, so yeah. it, it would still be a hugely beneficial change to be going from her to a, uh, a a law scholar and somebody who worked for, like, the Electronic Freedom Foundation. Like, those, these are these are good things to be seeing but the holy shit the senate is so so much worse in terms of being completely out of touch and unrepresentative of the population and also just out uh, uh, you know we're we're not gonna go off on a massive diatribe about this but the senate as an institution is just so completely fucked and shouldn't exist um and and, and we need to abolish it but yes they are they are massively out of touch don't do not represent us in a meaningful way and uh it's It sucks to see like where, where we got, how we got into this position. I mean, I guess it's really kind of always been this way, but losing somebody like John Lewis from, uh, Congress who was fighting for, uh, the things that we need, uh, it it does, it, it sucks. It sucks a lot. And, uh, hopefully we'll be able to get somebody, somebody to come in and replace him who can carry on that tradition. Um, I have absolutely no idea what is going to happen with that seat
1: yeah and we're we're just gonna have to kind of see how this next election shapes up because the special election for lewis's seat won't come until after the actual election yep. in november yep. um and how that's going to shake out we we have absolutely no idea but one of the things that's really important here is that the work of john lewis is being taken into the 21st century by people like black lives matter la who hosted a town hall with the people's yes. budget Uh, featuring uh, some really, really good speakers, uh, not just from Black Lives Matter LA, but from work across the country, as well as some members of our city council showing up uh, and talking about what they've been doing and why we're at this moment in history as far as like local politics go. Uh, And we brought some audio clips. Now there was about an hour's worth of public comment. I didn't have time to comb through all of the public comment. Uh, We will be like posting the entirety of the audio at some point here. Um, but I did want to share a few clips from uh, Melina Abdullah, uh, Akila Shirels, and then also Herb Wesson. So let's, off, uh, let's start off with uh, Melina Abdullah uh, talking about why we're here and why we're holding this particular event. All right.
3: Part of why we're here is because we need more spaces like this. We need more parks. We need more resources for community gatherings. We need these kinds of things. This is what keeps our communities safe. And what we're going to be talking about in these spaces is today is what do you envision? When we say reimagine public safety, what does that mean to you? And so it's important for me um, that we always credit. The folks who come up with these ideas, and we understand that we're in a struggle, a long-standing struggle for black freedom, right? That black people never submitted to our own oppression. We always fought for freedom. And each movement builds upon the last. That said, we each contribute. When Mama Paula said, what do we bring, right? We each contribute to movement building.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I, I should mention, so this was uh, the the meeting yesterday, the community town hall went down at Norman Houston Park, which is over in Baldwin Hills, uh, sort of up across from uh, Kenneth Hahn Park. Yes. Um, and it was weird, like on my drive home, I drove right by the oil fields uh, along La Cienega and thought mm. that was pretty pretty fitting framing for uh, that and it was I, it was a great morning because like Norman Houston Park is generally filled with people exercising and like training their dogs and like doing regular park stuff. and then we just sort of had this very cool town hall show up and a lot of folks who were just at the park decided to stop by and see what was going on. and so people were just pulled in. Um, and so what we were what we were there to discuss more than anything was what policing in LA is going to look like. Um, as we move forward, and like as we, uh, sh- hold on, let me find this. And as we kind of like reimagine what the budget is going to look like uh, for for LA. And so, Akilah Sharilz is a nationally known figure who does kind of public safety and police reform work across the country, most notably in the city of Newark, New Jersey. But he's from South LA, um, and has uh, developed a really good, really robust like kind of conversation with Molina and other leaders in Black Lives Matter L.A. as to what we can do here in city council to make L.A. a safer place and to defund the police. So uh, let's, uh, let's listen to this clip where he's talking about the importance of the moment of history that we're in.
2: Because this work is extremely important. We're at an inflection point in history in terms of public safety. And it's an opportunity for us to really begin to put Public safety back in the hands of the public.
0: Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a short clip, but it's extremely correct. Like, extremely yeah. correct.
1: Well, And, and he kind of goes on in the next clip. He talks about the way that we need to re-understand what trauma and victimhood is within a lot of like urban communities that have been over-policed yeah. and how yeah. we tend to think of victims as white middle-class and especially women. Like when we think about like the victim narrative in the american media that generally it it generally tends to be kind of like a a protection of white women sort of thing and that we need to understand that like communities that have been traumatized for generations are victims in and of themselves even when it's a member of that community that is causing the pain like the whole canard of black on black violence ignores the fact that the person who is perpetrating the crime is also a highly traumatized person that is acting out of not being given what they need to exist in this world. So anyways, this is a really short clip, but I think he puts it very, very well.
2: So we have to continue to change the narrative around who victims and survivors are. We have to expand the definition of victimization to include the perpetrator's family. Yeah. Exactly. And this is something like there's a
1: lot of work being done around this, not just in the state of California, but across the country, as far as understanding how we help a family after a member of that family has committed a crime. Like that's also a trauma for them. Losing a member of your family to jail, losing a member of your family to police violence, traumatizes you just as much as that original crime did. Um, But we also know that this is meaningful work that we have to be doing. And so this is another clip from Akilah talking about like how we know that the work,
2: the work that we're doing actually works. This work works, right? It works, it needs investment. We need to understand workforce development in a different type of way because we're working with traumatized people. You can't have just a, you know, a corporate structure or a corporate culture at all. You can have a corporate infrastructure in which there's graduated, you know, disciplinary process and different things like that, but our folks need to be given five and six and seven chances, right? And we have to also have inherent in our models, you know, trauma-informed practice and self-care support, right? So that we can have an opportunity to fail, because failure is a prerequisite for success, right? So we don't get no money to fail. Community-based intervention make a mistake, it's on the front page. You know, and they're talking about defunding the work. But law enforcement can kill people with impunity and get another $50 million a year invested in their work, right? When do we get an opportunity to fail with our own tax dollars, okay?
1: Yeah, exactly. And this is something we don't talk about enough. You know, when you grow up with wealth, with privilege, you have the opportunity to fail. You have a safe place to go if you should go bankrupt. You have access to capital. You have access to loans that other people can't get. You have a cushion. And when you fuck up, like as a white person, you're probably not going to jail. Even if you commit what could be like a misdemeanor, you will probably not be sent to prison for that crime. If you're black, you're far more likely to be sentenced to jail more harshly than a white person who commits and is convicted of that same crime like there was a racial bias built into our accountability systems that we're not addressing and the fact that like and i know growing up as a like a rich white privileged male there were fuck-ups in my life when i was a teenager where had i been black or brown i would not have been simply like let go i would have faced a much harsher punishment. I would have faced much more like sanction from the law and even investigation. Like there were times where I was pulled over and the cops looked at my zip code and were like, oh, wealthy white zip code, have a good night, be on your way that's not yeah. the way policing works for the majority of people in this country and we have to understand that like when you're a jeff bezos you're able to get to these astronomical levels of wealth because like a you have a cushion and b you're able to run failed businesses and then bounce back from it like amazon was not jeff Bezos's first business it was not like that was his first like genius business idea he had other failed businesses before that but had family wealth to rely on to keep making runs at being a success Something that we don't allow people in impacted communities to do. Now let's let's move on real quick and talk about the work that Akila has been able to do
2: in Newark and what this work actually looks like when we talk local politics and policies. Two weeks ago, the mayor put forth an ordinance in the city to move five percent of the city of Newark's public safety, I mean police department's budget into a new department of violence prevention and trauma recovery. Two weeks ago, we had a unanimous vote. We moved 11.12 $11.4 well, million um, in a city ordinance in perpetuity into a new Department of Violence Prevention and Trauma Recovery. We're going to fund all of the city's community-based violence reduction initiatives.
0: Damn. When, how do we, like, let's do that here?
2: Yeah,
1: and this is something that's, well, that's something, well, that's something Akilah talked about is Uh, this isn't brand new work. He's been working with the city of New York, Newark for years and kind of developing a public safety, um, strategies and ways in which like you can cut the, the, the funding of police and fund other community programs. So this has been like a long struggle and one that like it needed a progressive engaged mayor in the city of Newark to be able to actually pull off. Um, and then let's kind of close out, um, Akilah, he gave a really long, really good speech, and I'm not gonna play it all here, but what he says about Black Lives Matter's legacy nationally and historically, I think is a really, really important way to sort of like close out his section.
2: We've done something really profound, right? With every death that happens, Black Lives Matter has harnessed that etheric energy and have done something really profound with it. Absolutely, I I mean, we gotta absolutely give it up to Black Lives Matter because, you know, it's a movement that has allowed us to have a different type of dialogue and conversation in this country. The, the public execution of, of George Floyd, I was just saying on, on, our, on our talk a couple of days ago with Melina, you know, uh, my mentor Orland Bishop was talking to me a few days ago about how when the body dies, it releases this etheric energy and sometimes we we don't understand the, the the impact of it that this life force that oozes out of the body and into the world can be harnessed right very similar to the public execution of of Jesus Christ
0: yeah yeah I forgot how like this was just happening yesterday and it's one of those things where when you go to these events, if you're uh, participating in like the uh, if you're participating in running the event and in, in so far as you know, you and I were running cameras and, and trying to document it, I was focusing so much more on trying to like get good angles and capture what people were saying that I wasn't as much listening to the words. So getting to hear this again, uh, it it it's it's now reminding me of just how powerful some of this stuff was uh that was being discussed yesterday some of these testimonials that were given and i do remember there were some absolutely heartbreaking stories which we're not going to be getting into um but when when we do get this all of this information and, and the the content out there for folks it, it's something that i can very strongly encourage everyone to listen to and take lessons from because this is the this is the kind of direct and informed democratic process that we need to see more of if we're going to have any chance of actually breaking down the systems of oppression that have fucked this country over so much for so long. Like we we cannot the the just the idea of using like the you know trauma informed policy making and and policing and changing these processes is so different from what has been so broadly accepted. And I'm I'm loving learning about the fact that like in in Newark that they've been doing this work for so long. Like I had absolutely no idea that Newark was implementing these kinds of things that we so desperately need here in Los Angeles. And getting to hear that perspective and knowing that there are people out there. I mean, I knew people were doing this work. I didn't realize how long they had been doing this work. I didn't realize that there were so many blueprints for us to be taking from and that's why being involved with this process with like people's budget LA is so helpful for me personally and it's such a great process to be expanding to the rest of the city so that people are able to understand and and get that extra perspective and learn about these new systems and these new ways of handling the problems that we are facing um but yeah you you got a well, couple, so, more, a couple more clips here
1: yeah well so and and one thing i kind of forgot to mention this earlier uh in regards to ct vivian and and john lewis is yeah in in movements like the uh the poor people's movement yes. uh led by reverend barber we're seeing the work continue and in new ways and in ways that have been informed by the past and are building on it and i think part of what we're seeing especially in the town hall yesterday is real buy-in from political leaders. Well, to an extent. We'll talk about that a little bit. But uh, let's go ahead and play. Like, Herb Wesson showed up with uh, a couple of other L.A. City Council members, which isn't nothing. Like, these are people who make a shit ton of money and are basically the elected representative for a quarter million people uh, in the city of Los Angeles. Their time is very valuable. Where they chose to spend their time, who they choose to listen to, matters a lot. So having these people show up at this kind of a town hall, to spend their time listening to people like Melina Abdullah, Baba Akili, and Akila Sharills is really, really important, and not just because of their ability to vote on these policies, but just the amount of power that they wield within the city and even nationally, with LA being the second largest city in the nation.
4: But yeah, let's uh, go to uh, let's go to Herb's introduction. I do want to present to you two of of my brothers on the council. That is uh, Curran Price from Council District 9 and Mike Bonin from Council District 11. That's who's in the
0: picture too, conveniently.
4: Yep.
3: <laughs> but yeah,
1: but so uh, Curran Price and um, Mike Bonner are both like fairly progressive, I would say, members of city council, try and position them that way. Um, Curran Price is... Representing uh, District Nine, which represents a lot of South LA and is seeing a lot of gentrification as well as a lot of policing. Yes. Uh, Mike Bonin on the West Side is a little bit of a different figure, but we know Venice is a hotbed of gentrification. We know that Venice is a hotbed of violence against the unhoused. Like we're seeing that with illegal planters, with the illegal secure, with like the private security that's hired by firms like Google to chase people off. So while Bonin's district doesn't see the same level or volume of violence that we see, it it has more acute problems. Yeah. But it's good that all three of them decided to take their Saturday and show up at a town hall where they didn't need to show up for this. Like, they could have done anything else on their day, gone and met with donors, cashed a, a check from LAPPL. They could have done a lot of things. <laughs> they showed up here. But let's talk about why. So um, Herb Weston does a good job of encapsulating why he and these other city council members showed up here.
0: Yeah, and well, before we jump into that, really quick, we it's also worth pointing out that the park where we were at was actually in uh, Marquise Harris Dawson's district, and he would yeah. he would have been there at this event, uh, but was had a previous engagement that he wasn't able to break away from, um, so I I'm I know that he like he donated um he his his office bought the food that fed everybody at the end there so. Uh, he was there in in spirit, if not in actual presence. Uh, so he's been deeply involved in this. And it, it is worth pointing out that if he had been there, we would have had 100% of the black representation on city council at this event with BLM, which is huge. Like that, is, that is absolutely something worth commenting on. But uh, yeah, let's go ahead and get into uh, more talking about uh, or Wesson talking more about what was going on uh, at this action
4: i want to thank each and every one of you for bringing us to this moment and promise you that we are not going to miss this moment this is the greatest opportunity in the history of this country for change and with your help we on the city council will put in place the types of things needed to ensure that we don't just keep this conversation going but we have something that's real that we can touch and that we can feel
0: great
1: yeah and so and we'll talk about this Uh, I'll let you kind of take the lead but let's let's talk about what Wesson means like what it is that we have won through this struggle in the streets led by groups like Black Lives Matter LA like the
0: progress doesn't seem tangible at this point but holy shit, we've made a lot of progress. Uh, yeah. So the 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 fact that we're even talking about the stuff that we're talking about right now is in and of itself progress. That, rather that the elect, we, we we're going to be talking about the shit anyway, and that that's neither here nor there. But the fact that we had a crowd like what we're showing right here show up at this event, the fact that we've got we had three council members present at the event, and we had a fourth one that was involved. Uh, the fact that we have a motion. That is working its way through council, even though they're not doing anything in July. The fact that, that that motion is there and they're talking about creating an unarmed response replacement for the cops. And there's another motion that I think honestly is, is even bigger. That's the one that Marquise and Bonin are putting together that removes LAPD from traffic enforcement. These things are fucking huge. LAPD has been a behemoth in, in in L.A. politics and just L.A. life for generations at this point. And to be trying to claw any of those responsibilities back from them and getting official buy-in from some of these incredibly powerful politicians in the city is absolutely tremendous. Like, Herb Wesson was the council president for a long time. The only reason why he's not the president anymore was so that he could step back from that responsibility in order to pursue uh, further elected office when he wants to go and replace Mark Ridley yeah. Thomas on the board of supervisors. Well,
1: let's we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, but let's uh, let's let's talk about what like the seat at the table, and then we'll kind of get into Wesson's politics. Oh
0: yeah. So the um, the point here is that like this is this is a, a tremendous amount of uh, of action that we've won through this process and this buy-in, and a lot of the things that that Wesson was saying in that last clip were actually echoing sentiments that he made that he uh that he gave during the response to the blm presentation about the people's budget at city hall um god that was like what a month ago at this point um that process really is what kicked all of this off was like as soon as blm was able to get there and and capture that spotlight and have the microphone and and sit there and and teach the council about what it means what this this vision for uh, uh, you know police defunding really means that really kicked so much stuff off and we're, we're seeing a tremendous amount of, of, of progress on this um, but yeah let's go ahead and uh, play that clip of uh, the seat at the table
4: we want to hear from you the only way what we are attempting to do is gonna work is if you guys are given a formal seat at the table right. so we want to hear we're here because of you it might have been a dream of Kearns and mine for 60 years, but we're here because of you. Yeah, and
0: that's, that's yeah, and it's, absolutely well, it's, correct.
1: It's curious because it's it, interesting because Wesson, you know, kind of tries to frame himself as somebody who's always been on the side of police abolition um, or at least yeah, reform. That's and that's right. questionable, you know, while he led... Uh, LA L.A. City Council, the LAPD budgets got bigger and bigger and bigger. Like every year, yes. LAPD's budget was the biggest budget it had ever gotten. So it's hard to believe that, you know, he's completely legit when he says that he's been dreaming about this for 60 years Um, because he's kind of politically gone the other way. But talk a little bit more about uh, what his... His actual plan is here because they're proposing concrete policy that would change the way a lot of policing happens in L.A., um, even though it's kind of
0: a small start. So this this particular motion is about um, basically it's 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 modeling something off of like the Cahoots program and other situations where you create an an unarmed uh, response to deal with the the kinds of calls that are coming in. And so that was actually part of a lot of what this this conversation with the community was about, like the questions that were being asked of the community by the moderators in this conversation were relating to, hey, what kind of calls, when, when, when people are gonna be calling 911, because 911 is something that's been drilled into our, uh, our, our national psyche, like it is a thing that you do any time that there is something going wrong, the the response that has been drilled into us by things as benign as like Sesame Street is call 911, reach out to the authorities who are able to help you with this process because something has gone wrong and they are there to help you you know make it better. The reality of the situation is that when you call 911, if it's the cops that are showing up, they're not going to be able to make the situation better for a whole lot of people in this country, especially if you are black or brown. But uh, creating a a, in a an unarmed response to those kinds of calls for service is really what this is all about. And there, there were people who were making, uh, when, when, when presented with this question of like, what is the kind of call that shouldn't be met with policing? People were offering up uh, ideas. And, and uh, one of the big ones was, anytime that there's a mental health situation, anytime it involves kids, like school age kids, anytime it's anything to do with the school at all, anytime that it is uh you know elder care or anything like that and some of the most heartbreaking stories were specifically about elder care uh where yeah the only thing that that happens like if we don't have the proper infrastructure in place for the mental health facilities or even for the senior care like if if instead of having um if if we don't have 911 default to like the fire department or other groups that are actually able to provide care and help people. And instead, if it goes through the police, it just sets everything up in, in in such a totally dark and, and, and wrong direction. And that well, was and what even, a lot well, of this even,
1: was. Even, even beyond that, I think uh, yeah. both Herb and also one of the other uh, speakers from the community yes. made the point of like, hey, you know, if you have people that are just hanging outside the liquor store or people that are leaving the bar and they're drunk, You know, rather than waiting for them to get in the car and getting a DUI and having their car towed and spending a night in jail, why don't we have a system that can intervene and get them home safely? You know, like when Herb was like, hey, if you come out of the bar drunk, wouldn't it be better if a couple of guys roll up and say, hey, it looks like you're really drunk. We'll get you home. My partner here will drive your car to your home. And then when they drop you off, they leave you a citation and like you have to show up in court in 40 days, which that part is kind of dumb maybe Herb is thinking we'll like divert to like a substance abuse court or some sort of an intervention court. But the idea of just getting somebody home to sleep in their yeah. bed, instead of spending the several thousand dollars it takes to arrest, process, detain, and then like impound the car and then send the person home after a night in jail of them risking exposure to COVID and all that other stuff, that we can have a justice system that doesn't rely on physically locking a body in a cage in order for it to work. And that's a major part of this is that the whole process of being arrested and having to go through that processing is disruptive and traumatizing as well. We don't necessarily need that. Like we know from people who cross the border and exist in this country without documentation, when they're given a court date, 95% of the people who are given a court date for immigration court show up. And it's the same for people who are going to regular criminal court, like 90% of people will show up whether they have bail or not. People want to show up and get this stuff cleared, especially if they know that they're not going to be facing like incarceration, but rather Mm -hmm. like some sort of a program that will actually put them in a better place. And that's all part of this conversation that's going on here. Now there's a lot of questions I think to be asked about how much we can really trust Herb uh, in what he said because he's obviously running against Holly Mitchell for the the County Board of Supervisors. And uh, he's very, you know, well-spoken as far as politicians go and knows how to say the right things, but he rarely follows through. And even then, like, when he was giving this talk, he made it seem like the plans that he was pushing were really revolutionary, which I guess to an extent they are, but -hmm. they're not that revolutionary when put in the context of what we're actually demanding. And especially when put in the context of the amounts of of abuses that we're seeing. So let's talk a little bit about the latest arrests with the uh, Cal gang database abuse by Metro, uh, which has been kind of a a simmering scandal for the last six months. (laughs) Finally seeing some traction. So uh, let's talk about what's happening there.
0: Yeah. So we were talking uh, last week about how there were three officers who have been uh, charged in this process. Uh, News broke over the last couple of days, uh, actually right after we recorded. Um, that 16 additional LAPD officers are now going to be facing criminal charges in this investigation. Uh, and this is, again, it's, it's all about the, the falsified records of uh, field interviews. So basically, these are, these are innocent motorists and pedestrians who were questioned by police that were then labeled as gang members in a database according to an LAPD memo. So this is all reporting coming out of NBC, who I believe they were the ones who kind of broke this story back in January uh, but there's, there's been a lot like this is uh, LAPD's, uh, elite Metro, uh, division is the source of many, many problems in this city. Um, so the memo from LAPD, according to NBC, it confirms the total number of officers under investigation. Of the case is now 24, including the three charged last week, 16 more, uh, who face future criminal charges and five others suspected of violating department policies, but not of breaking the law. So... Yeah. We're gonna to have to see how that all, all all comes out because the department policies uh, on a lot of this stuff. It's
1: well, the, the way- Cal Gang, the Cal Gang database itself was just absolutely broken even yeah. before this story. Yeah. Like LAPD spying had sued and or stop LAPD spying yes. had sued to get records of Cal Gang database and uh, uh, Predpol and other data-driven policing programs in the city of LA, and found that there were several infants on the cal gang database um there were also several people who had never been convicted of any sort of a violent crime or stopped in connection with a violent crime who had somehow ended up in the cal gang database um, there were hundreds of people who had zero interactions like zero negative interactions with the police who had ended up in the cal gang database and the la police department and the sheriff's department couldn't explain why these people were there um, and out of a very simple Jesus. sampling i think they sampled a thousand records, and out of that, ten percent of the people in there had no violent arrests or violent convictions, but were listed as violent offenders on the Cal Gang database. Yeah, fuck. it's it's <laughs> it was you know, and if fuck? you are if somebody if you're somebody who deals with like data like as your job, you know that a ten percent error rate is way too fucking high. Like that spoils all of your data. And that, that random sample could get larger, could get smaller. Like again, they didn't sample the millions of records that were going on there. But if you just sort of like game that out over the the size of a, the state of the, California or even just the size of the city of LA, 10% yeah. of the people who are there and are facing more extreme um, punishment if they ever get arrested or convicted of a crime is a huge fucking error rate to be playing with. Like if you were playing a video game where 10% of the time you just lost because the game was just programmed to do it that way, not because you did anything to lose, you would not play that fucking game, right? Like if if every chess match that you started had a 10% chance of resulting in you losing for no good reason, you would stop fucking playing the game. Like nowhere in the world do we accept that kind of like error rate, especially when it comes to people's fucking lives.
2: Yeah.
0: Jesus Christ, this, okay. Yeah. Well, hooray. We now officially have the uh, one of, if not the most depressing podcast that we've ever done.
1: Well, and, and the other thing that's frustrating <laughs> about this is like LAPD has said that they're going to stop like relying on Cal gang data and the city of L.A. is going to stop using it. But right. that doesn't stop all of the other cities and yeah. sheriff's departments like the Cal gang database needs to be destroyed. And this is one reason why Prop 21 Sorry to like go off on a tangent. <laughs> go, but no, 20? like Prop 21. It's 21. uh okay. Yeah, it's Prop 21. No, Prop 20. Prop 21, sorry, Prop 21 is repeal Costa Hawkins. Prop 20 is uh, expanding the the Cal gang database, expanding the use of DNA, and expanding the list of felonies. And this is exactly why we need to not do that. We've seen that given these tools, police in the state of California and the city of Los Angeles will always abuse them. Prop 20 is funded by cop money and Safeway because Safeway wants to send you to fucking jail for shoplifting from a fully insured corporation that puts its essential workers at risk and underpays them to begin with. Like, it's holy fuck, prop twenty is bad. And if anyone if anyone wants to vote for it, you have license for me to punch them in the face. Just once <laughs> and not super hard. But I, I will I will give you clearance on that one. But anyways, let's let's move on <laughs> to fuck. our last yeah, let's move on to our last very frustrating story of the day. <laughs> Um, one that is sort of good, but also sort of bad. So, uh, in um, oh, hey, Chris, I have a joke for you.
0: Yeah. Oh. Oh no.
1: How do yeah. you know somebody went to USC?
0: Uh, I, I. They'll I tell didn't.
1: you. <laughs> so, in that yeah. spirit, as Chris and I have mentioned several times, yeah. we both went to USC. <laughs> USC's <laughs> president's Max Nikias, Max Nikias, who was one of the most highly paid educators. I put that in quotes because he was an administrator, right. mm-hmm. but one of the most highly paid people in education in the country, uh, in, in the in the US. Uh, he left after it. Uh, the story broke that he had been shielding a doctor on campus from charges of yeah. sexual abuse yeah. and sexual assault for literally years. This doctor had been at USC for decades, uh, had abused hundreds of young people across that time, also yeah. was a doctor for the US gymnastics, which works closely with the IOC. Because we know that the IOC has a massive sex abuse problem, especially in, in um, sports like gymnastics. Anyways, Max Nikias is finally leaving USC, and uh, he got quite the golden parachute.
0: Yeah. Uh, what was it $6 million golden parachute?
1: Yeah. So they basically what they did was, because he was <laughs> leaving his, his uh, term early, I think he, he left three years before his contract actually ended, they decided to just cash out his contract. Like, oh, we have to get rid of you because you've been hiding a doctor who's been sexually abusing young women and young athletes. Here's all of the money we said we were going to pay you instead of, hey, fuck you, here's a lawsuit. Like, And he's also, he's a trustee for life. So he gets to sit on the board that decides USC's overall direction for the rest of his fucking life without question. Great. To put, this, to put this, a little bit of a finer point on this, uh, USC employs uh, 1,800 part-time faculty called adjunct professors. We've covered the life of adjunct professors on the podcast before.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but USC pays anywhere from $3,800 to $8,000 per course. Per course. So that means for the entire fucking semester, you get $3,800. If you're teaching a four-month long course, 3800 bucks for the entire four fucking months of teaching that. Not a salary, not benefits, none of that stuff. Even if you're getting the higher end of that, even if you're getting $8,000 for a course, that's about $2,000 a month. Um, that's not a great pay rate. Like, if you're working 40 hours a week, 160 hours in a given month and making $2,000, you're barely making minimum wage, I think. Like, barely. It's, it's pretty fucking bad. Um, But so USC, despite being an incredibly wealthy college, still is underpaying for its educators. It gets worse when we look at the UC and the CS system and even the community college system. And I mentioned them because Janet Napolitano is finally leaving as the head of the UC Board of (laughs) Regents, where she was pulling down a salary of $570,000 a year.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, Fuck. Fuck just now Janet Napolitano before
1: heading the USC board or the UC Board of Regents uh, was the governor of Arizona yeah. the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security under yeah. Barack Obama and then left their DHS uh, post to yeah. come uh, run the UC system as it were yeah, under her tenure we've seen uh, tuition go up uh, the number of California students actually admitted to the UC and CS systems go down, uh, as well as like homelessness and food insecurity amongst all UC yeah. and CS students yep. fucking skyrocket. Yep. Meanwhile, she has brought in a shit ton of corporate cash and managed yep. to pay administrators very handsome salaries at yep. the cost of or at the yeah at the cost of students. Yep. So like what we see is two sort of old guards in higher education beginning to transition out under less than ideal circumstances but still profiting immensely from Jesus. the work that they've done to damage these massive, these large educational institutions. It's actually incredibly frustrating and very annoying, but hopefully opens up the door to like some actual change here. Um, so yeah, so we're gonna wrap it a little bit. We can keep going. There's a shit ton of stuff we yeah. haven't gotten a chance to cover, but I've gotta go prep all my medic here to go out to the March for Mellie. Uh, I know you're yeah. gonna be out, the press. a lot of folks are. Yeah. Hopefully we'll see you on the street in a couple of hours. Um, what else do we have going on this week? Uh,
0: there's there's, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. Um, there for sure is going to be our weekly ground game meeting happening on uh, Thursday. I think we've actually got uh, – you and I have calls all – actually, no. So we don't have calls all day today because of the protest. Uh, but there are you know, going to be events tied in with what we're up to. Uh, at Ground Game and if you want to get involved in all that stuff just hit us up on social media you know at Ground Game LA on Twitter on Facebook uh, on Instagram if you are, are, are interested in the work that we do we would love to have you come and join us uh, there are going to be a number of um, I know that the, the vibe uh, local for the Los Angeles Tenants Union Um, I was under the impression that they were still meeting at their regular time. They have changed it. So now I'm actually going to uh, do my best to participate in that process again, because they've actually shifted their their Thursday meetings are now uh, from six to seven instead of being overlapping with us, which is great. Uh, So if you are a tenant and you are facing uh, potential eviction uh, coming up here because Everything is fucking broken. Uh, we would love to see you come out and, and get involved in one of these tenant organizing groups. Uh, no Olympics has been doing a bunch of events. Uh, I think all of them have actually happened in the well, past they had, yeah, of they, days.
1: Well, they had a they had a teach-in yesterday. Yeah. Uh, but then also there's the uh, the J twenty strike is happening tomorrow. So if you get the chance, yep. uh, take the day off work. If you can't take the day off work. Walk out for eight minutes. Uh, these will be happening all across LA. If you, we don't have like a list of the number of events happening here in LA because there's a freaking lot of them. Um, but you should be able to track some down on social media, or hell, just have your own. Um, yeah. And if you do get the chance, get out there and support. Um, other things that are happening this week that I'm trying to think of is I think there's a city, there's some city council meetings coming up also, right, Chris?
0: Uh, no, there's there's a board of supervisors meeting. The city council That's is right. still there's so the city council is still on recess until the twenty eighth. Um, because July is just their holiday. Um, but there is going to be a board of supervisors meeting coming up on Tuesday and I am going to be live tweeting that one. Um, because that is just a thing I do now and it should be fun. Uh, I'm going to try to get it up on, on our Twitch channel, uh, with stuff going on and being, making it interactive, which should be, uh, entertaining. Um, but yeah, so there, there's, there's going to be the supervisors meeting. I don't actually have the agenda in front of me because I'm Uh, not as prepared as I want to be because it's too early on a Sunday morning uh, for us to be doing this. Uh, and holy shit, this is the, honestly, so much stuff has happened, uh, and it's all depressing. And well, I'm still I'm so mad right now about the Max Nikias thing. Uh, but
1: uh, to to put a to give <laughs> you all something Christ. to look forward to, uh, Ground Game is going to be hosting a series of kind of like training yes. sessions coming up in the next couple of weeks called Ground Game Summer Camp. Uh, we'll be putting out the registration links and uh, everything so you can sign up for that. Uh, we're going to be doing everything from covering like police liaisoning to like digital organizing tools to how to screen print stuff. There's going to be a whole host of classes. We're scheduling them uh, kind of one or two classes like during the day and then most of them in the evening because we know most people's schedules allows for that um if you want to sit down and take all of them great if you can only drop in for a couple great but these are going to be really valuable interesting classes not only where you're going to learn skills but it's a way for us to network and to get to know people and get to know each other and figure out how we're going to keep working together so um we will definitely be blowing up your social media when it comes to that other things to flag for you we got the Ground Game Live is coming up Wednesdays at yes. 8 now. We we have yeah. finally settled on a time. It's 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Uh, this week, it's going to be Rachel Ray's and Vic are going to be hosting with a couple of amazing guests, including Godfrey Plata uh, and uh, Jane, Jane uh, from uh, K-Town for All, mm-hmm. uh, who's made some of the most viral graphics of this entire fucking uprising. Graphs, Um, Graffs! Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Um, but they've been spreading across the country and people are finding bar graphs to be very, very handy. Uh, And then what else do we have coming on? Oh, Rat Bastards will not be playing tonight, but we are going to be back next Sunday. And then every Sunday from there on out, starting at 6 p.m., broadcasting on Twitch. You can find us at twitch.tv backslash GroundGameLA. For those of you that don't know, Rat Bastards is a Dungeons & Dragons campaign. Or we're using the Dungeons and Dragons kind of like formulas and metrics to play the game. Uh, basically, it's a Wild West uh, organizing campaign where we're working <laughs> our way across the land, uh, organizing henchmen, liberating towns, and then also murking the big bads who refuse to play nice. Um, because, you know, that's what happens. And also, like, Hope. we we may or may not all have turned into wear rats at some point. So you'll just have to tune in to find out how. <laughs> we will be raising some money through that. Nice. It will be uh, it'll be going to fund a mutual aid Los Angeles, which is still mm-hmm. going really, really strong. Um, and so anyways, uh, before I keep talking and make myself <laughs> late, uh, thank you all very, very much for joining us this week. Hey, Chris, take us out.
0: Uh, Yeah, so as always, if y'all have any events that you want us to be taking part in, publicizing, or just being made aware of, hit us up, send us a message. You can reach us through the Ground Game LA Facebook page or on Twitter, on Instagram, all of the social media stuff that we always talk about. Uh, This podcast and every podcast, uh, every Ground Game podcast is a product of knock.la. You can support our work over on patreon.com slash knock underscore LA. Of course, you can check the description uh, of this podcast for links to actions social media and of course the sources that we use and also really quick shout out thank you very much to josie huang for covering uh the uh, the town hall yesterday and for taking those fantastic pictures that we used to go with the audio for uh molina and akila and uh her blessing. so Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, we're not going to be doing these at 9 a.m. Uh, often, but this is a special day, and so hopefully we'll see all of y'all in a couple of hours uh, for the March for Melly. Uh, yeah, stay safe out there and, wear a mask. and something. Yeah,
1: and uh, to leave you all on a, a quote from John Lewis real quick, uh, do yeah. not get lost in a sea of despair. Be hopeful, be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month, or a year. It is the struggle of a lifetime. Never ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. Thank you all, love you very much. We'll see you out there on the streets. Awesome. Peace.